This is Take a Second, a weekly Come Follow Me podcast that focuses on finding the Savior in the Old Testament, and then how we might teach it in family or ward settings. I'm Brian Ricks, and Stuart Black is joining me to make sure that we stay on the rails. We are recording the podcast from the Student Lounge at the Pocatello Institute. So thanks for joining us for our lunchtime discussion of this week's Come Follow Me Scripture Block. What does the role in Ezekiel represent? Go. I haven't done the reading this week. Thank you. The roll? Uh-huh. I don't know either. It's like a bread roll we're talking about? Or like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. I'm not sure either now. Pass? I don't know. As a I table, do you want to guess? Can you give me a... Can we have a verse? Can we have a reference? It's, it's a bread roll. Mm-hmm. Bread roll. Man, bread roll. Okay. Okay. There it is. You and your table right here, brother. The whole table gets it. Yeah, you're, we're going to rotate oh, around, so don't worry. Um, what do the briars and thorns and scorpions represent in Ezekiel? The briars, thorns, and scorpions? Oh, my goodness. Can I pass? Would that would I embarrass you? Yeah, well, you already oh, have. No. <laughs> <laughs> Trials. Trials, she said. <laughs> so, she, yes, she gave us something besides I don't know. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> the uh, tedious workings of Satan. Also, valid guess there. For the Castro. Um, Satan himself. Satan wow. himself. Oh, he stole mine. Nah. Trials. Krista, I'm with you. Trials? Not bad. That's a little closer. The iniquity of the people. (laughs) Home run. Really? What do the sticks of Ephraim and Judah represent in the book of Ezekiel? I don't know. (laughs) Sorry, you just got to guess. Oh, my guess. um, The sticks represent commandments? I don't know. Good. Not bad. Go right here. What do the sticks of Ephraim and Judah represent in Ezekiel? Is that the priesthood? Not bad. What was the priesthood? Are you going to ask me too? No, you know the question. But like, I want to feel All right. special. Okay, Thank you. here you go. What do the sticks of Ephraim and Judah represent in the book of Ezekiel? The Book of Mormon and the Bible. <laughs> what, do the, what does the mark in the forehead represent in the book of Ezekiel? Mark on the forehead. Uh, I have no clue. Is it the mark of the beast? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Any guess? Um, nope. <laughs> They're special. <laughs> <laughs> They're special. <laughs> Nikolai's trying to Google so fast right now. <laughs> uh, it's gotta be. It's gotta be like a cool tattoo. 100%. Cool tattoo. It's the old FSY for strength of youth stuff back then. Uh, you're single. <laughs> I don't know. They're righteous. They they do good things. I don't know. Is it good? Wait, is that good? Is that right? Okay. We're back All to right. our regular seats. Yeah. <laughs> now after our little our little jaunt around uh, around the institute lounge here, it seems like we may have a little bit of a little bit of work to do. Yes. Um, here in the book of Ezekiel. In the, yeah, in the book of Ezekiel. I think you're seeing the 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 fruits of one day in Ezekiel. For the last, I don't know how many years we've been doing gospel yeah. doctrine, but uh-huh. uh, welcome to our podcast. For those of you that are in uh, listening to it without a video, what you saw was or what you heard was just a bunch of the institute students here in the lounge. 
answering questions about uh, some of the symbols from the book of Ezekiel. And we just wanted to start off with that and get an idea of kind of, I guess, take the pulse of our, of our class. See how well they could interpret. See, yep. <laughs> uh, we're going to do things a little bit different today. Ezekiel's huge. And uh, there's, there's a lot of chapters. Come Follow Me kind of is a little more selective. We decided to kind of open the whole book of Ezekiel up and then borrow, fra, borrow a format from one of... <laughs> PTI on ESPN. From an ESPN uh, talk show. So we're going... Each one of us has picked our own kind of chapters, verses. Some, they may, they may be the same. They may be different. Uh, but we're going to get two minutes to kind of explain our favorite part and then 30 seconds to explain a teaching idea. That's right. Okay. Do we want to do any like, hey, this is Ezekiel overview? Do we want to? Um, what what, what well, do people I, need I to thought know maybe, about Ezekiel? Maybe one. You can start this for me. That's okay. Fine. All right. I'll let you the, start it. Your PTI start. Okay. Ready? Uh, Are you marked? Set. Go. Here goes. Red light. Um, Ezekiel is one of the captives who's taken by Nebuchadnezzar. He prophesies from 590-ish to 570-ish BC. Uh, he was a priest who preached to the to the Jewish exiles in Babylon. So it, you kind of have a, a different shift between um, Jeremiah's. Jeremiah is trying to warn the people to say, hey, we don't have to go through this. Like, we could we could avoid this. And that's a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's that idea of, I can avoid this, I can avoid this, I can avoid this if I repent, if I repent, if I repent. They're already in bondage now by the time Ezekiel is, is prophesying to them. And so I, I just, I had such a, a, a unique kind of a light bulb moment where I, the people are still rebellious. That going into iniquity didn't, or going into bondage didn't solve them initially. That, yes, it's the repeated message, and what a cool thing that that repentance and the ability to rely back on the Savior works no matter what. It can help you avoid problems, and it can help you in the middle of the problems. And by the same token, that just because you go through something bad doesn't mean you'll turn to the Lord, nor does it mean that you'll switch up your whole life. That that in the book of Alma, when Amulek's teaching that you're you. I know you all think that in the spirit world is something you're going to swap it up, but you are who you are. And these people that, that Ezekiel is dealing with are, are still going through some difficult um, difficult things and difficult times that um, I, I just think that's a good lead into this. And, and maybe even part of their rebellion might stem from the idea of why would God let bad happen to us? And I'm still going to rebel because of that, because now I'm mad that God didn't help me when I thought that he should have. And according to their iniquities, like there's no reason that God should have stepped in and helped them. Um, they, those consequences are very natural occurring things that you did bad things and bad things are going to happen to you. But yet I, fe I feel like that's a part of this rebellion here that the people have is why would God let bad things happen? And that could almost be a starter. That's what I would say for like that's the teaching idea, just a, a quick attention grabbing thing that these people are in exile. Why is God still trying to help them? What do you learn about Jesus here? Hmm. I like that. Okay, so my first one's in chapter 3. Do you have anything else before in, in one or two? Uh, yeah, I'll go back to two in a little bit, but okay. that's okay. Let me jump to two then. Um, let me create a little lap here. All right. Uh, in chapter 3, this is one of my very favorite images from the from the book of Ezekiel because it sets Ezekiel up as a watchman on the tower. I love the old seminary video. Uh, if, you're, if you're teaching this, this weekend to your family, jump onto YouTube. Go find the old watchman on the tower video. Friend of mine was in it. Doctor, who's that? <laughs> Paul Staples. He was one of the bad guys. He's right? one of the one of the creeps coming up. Yeah, huh? that's right. I, I love this idea. I love the imagery of a watchman on the tower uh, because it it explains the purpose of a prophet. I, I sometimes I think we have this idea of prophets being 
these mean guys who are putting all these imposing all these restrictions and and uh, and limiting what we can do. I'm not sure why we have that image. I don't know what we think President Nelson gets out of you know sitting in Salt Lake coming up with new rules for us if if that's our image of him. But the Lord just points out essentially the call that a prophet gets uh, through Ezekiel. Uh, verse 17, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Give them warning from me. And this just reminds me of Doctrine and Covenants 1. Uh, I think it's verse, I wrote it down, it's verse 17, where the Lord says, knowing the calamity, knowing the dangers that it are going to befall you in the last days, I called Joseph Smith. The whole purpose for a prophet isn't to hold us back or, or prohibit us, it's to protect us. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes on, and and there's, and there's an obligation placed upon the shoulders of the prophets. Uh, you see this a little bit in Jacob too, when Jacob's like, I'm I'm cleansing my garments. Half clean. This is Ezekiel teaching essentially the same thing. Verse 18, the Lord says to him, When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not a warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thy hands. But if you warn the wicked. And he still goes on in his wicked ways. You're free from his. You're, you're free from that. So, if I were teaching this, one of the things that I would do is I would get a whole bunch of things. I, I would ask my kids or my class to create a list of things that don't do any good if you don't use them. What are the things that are really vital, but only if you use them? Um, I could think of like motor oil or shoulder pads or any number of things. And then I would just talk about how does a prophet fit into that category of things that are only, they only help us if we use them. And I think as Latter-day Saints, we need to decide if we want Watchmen on the Tower. Love that. Love Ding. that. Time. All Time. Right. Swipping over. Where uh, are you going next? Uh, I'm going to go back to two. Okay. Um, I uh, just, and, and it, Part of this just builds off this, that um, the watchman isn't the one coming up with his own message. And he n it never has been. Like, as a watchman up on a tower, he's literally watching. He is now saying, like, okay, symbolically for, t for us today, he's getting the message from above. But even back then, he's watching and observing what's happening among the people. What are the dangers coming? How can I protect the people that I'm in front of? So you would have had the watchtower probably in front of the city mm -hmm. to keep him safe that way. So just a, a couple of things here in two. In verse one, um, somebody asked me this, and this would be something I'd just encourage you to go look at, I guess, in the Bible dictionary. But um, why is it always called Ezekiel the son of man? There's a there's a whole entry in the Bible dictionary about that. So yep. it's something to, to study on your own there. But it's one of the titles that Jesus is, uh, refers to himself as the son of man of holiness in there. But he says, son of man, stand upon thy feet. I will speak unto thee. And the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me. This is the Lord's message. This is not Ezekiel's message that he's that he is making up. So then when you get over here to three and four, keep going. He says, uh, he said unto me, son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel to a rebellious nation. And this was that idea of this is a different rebellious people. These people are in prison and they're still rebelling. Well, how do you help people like that? That's a different thing. You still need Jeremiah wasn't enough. The Lord hasn't given up on them. They still need these messages from um, from Ezekiel and from from prophets now that just because you go through hard times doesn't mean that it's instantly going to be fixed. But in 6, he says, Be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Be not, um, Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou, dwell, thou dost dwell among scorpions, that you're going through all of these hard things. Then he tells Ezekiel in 8, he says, Eat this roll. 
and in 10 he describes what's on it. This is the type of sandwich he gets. Lamentations and mourning and woe. Now the roll is a parchment, it's not really a roll, but you could do all sorts of object lessons with the roll and eating stuff. But the, the sandwich is lamentations and mourning and woe. And then in three verses, like fish to me. absolutely it does. <laughs> in three, one, two, and three, Ezekiel eats it, and then it's a PB&H. It's a peanut butter and honey. At the end of verse three, it says that after I ate this lamentation and mourning and woe sandwich, it tasted like honey, and it was good for me. And, and I would just say or ask this question that what's a message from conference that maybe appears bitter, but then when you internalize it, it's sweet. And, and one oh, of those awesome. general principles, I think, would just be repentance. From the outside, it looks bitter, but once you make it a part of you, you realize how sweet it is. And there's lots of messages of the gospel that are maybe appear bitter until we internalize them. They're sweet. Love it. Time. Thank you and over on that one. Yeah, I did. All right. I'm Kornheiser, um, you're Will Bond. That's how it works. <laughs> That's right. All right. Chapter 9. Um, this is the mark of the Lord. So the Lord gathers everybody together. It says in verse 6, he gives, he, or in verse 2, he gathers six men and he gives them all a slaughter weapon. And then he takes one man and he gives him clothed with linen uh, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. I love the symbolism here, six and one. This describes my life right now. It's six days of a weapon, uh, of, I, not necessarily, but of, of a tool, of, of, of a, of a, of a instrument of labor, <laughs> an instrument of labor, and then one day of, I'm clothed in linen, I'm not having to work as hard, I love the Sabbath day. So anyway, you just, I see that symbolism there with the six and the one. Uh, but then he goes, he, the Lord speaks to the one with the inkhorn, he says, I want you to go into the city, and I want you to set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. In other words, who are the people who regret, who's, who, who are sad about or frustrated with or regret the wickedness of the times. Uh, we all have, there, there are people who, who kind of get excited by the riots or who, who, you know, lousy music or movies that portray things that, that are immoral or unjust. Uh, people who thrive on taking advantage of other people. There are people among us that, that thrive in those settings. And those are not the people that are getting this mark. The people who are getting the mark are the people who are sad about those things, who regret them, who wish that they weren't there. And then the Lord says, after he sends him into the city to go set the mark on his forehead, there's this uh, comment, the, the command then to those with the weapon that says, go in and essentially, if they don't have a mark on their head, and it doesn't matter if it's man, woman, or child, go in and you're going to slay them. And we're going to save, preserve those that have the mark and we're going to uh, and we're going to slay those that don't. I love this idea of marking. It's one of my favorite principles from the Book of Alma. The idea that we mark or distinguish ourselves. Remember, the Amlicites didn't want to look like the Nephites. Yeah. And and this is one of those places where <laughs> yeah, this is one of those places where I think you start to see that the mark that was placed on the Lamanites of dark skins has nothing to do with a curse. It's simply, this. it's the clearest place in the whole Book of Mormon that says, no, that's a distinguishing. We're setting apart the righteous and the wicked. And it has nothing to do with the dark skin. That was just a way of doing it in that setting. Why doesn't the Lord, if, if the dark skin was the curse, why not give the Amlicites the, the yeah. dark skin? Yeah. Because he didn't have to because they marked themselves. So uh, what I would do if I was teaching this is I would simply ask the question, what is it that we do to mark ourselves that we belong to the Lord? I'd get anything you have in the house that has your name on it. Why do we put our name on it? 
Why does the Lord mark us his? Why does he set us apart so that the whole world can see us, whether it's we're wearing garments or, you know, we always joke about the garment smile. And yeah. We're marked. Yeah. We, we are making a statement that we're the Lord's. Yeah. Um, I, I taught uh, Daniel today in my class and just that was that's another one of the points that somebody brought up. And I'm sure we'll talk about it next week that um, the word of wisdom is one of the things that marks you. Your yes. language marks you. Your type of entertainment that you, you're streaming when they suggest mm-hmm. stuff, you've marked yourself. The internet already knows internet, what yes. you're interested in. Yep. You've told them. Uh, I chose I chose one in 33. Um, just if you wanted more of the Watchman stuff, if that was something you wanted to study more or to emphasize more in a class, 33 has more of the, okay, this is what happens if you don't warn them. This is what happens if you do warn them. Um, since we already covered some of that, I, I want to go to a different part in 33. In verse 10, um, the Lord says to Ezekiel, he says, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how should we then live? He, the people are asking, we're wasting away in sin. We are literally just falling apart and rotting from the inside out. And the Lord says in verse 11, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? I I love this. The Lord's saying, don't. Don't let this idea of you wasting away in there, like, just continue to happen. And then in these these following verses, it it ends with some cool questions in the point where everyone says the Lord's not fair, and the Lord says, tell me how I'm not fair. Yeah. Um, But in, in 12 and 13... Um, he, he does this idea, and, and uh, just for a starter, if you were teaching this or wanted to study it more, I, I would ask these two questions. So here's the teaching idea at the beginning. What could keep you out of heaven? And ask some questions. And then what do you have to do to get there, to heaven? Okay? Um, and, and with that then, in verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in the day that he sinneth. Now, that one may take a couple of times to read. But 13, I know you're like, which one are we talking about here? Yeah. 13 then says, when I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live, if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousness shall not be remembered. But for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. Again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. If he turn from his sin and do that which is lawful and right, if the wicked restore the pledge, give again that he hath robbed, walk in the statutes, change his life, none of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. And and I, I just think this idea of like this tally marks that you go through and you're like, how many of you did something good today? And just even put tallies up there on uh-huh. the board and you don't even have to ask for specifics yeah. and then jokingly don't ask this be like what if you did something bad you like, you don't want to even mention it is life just this tally idea and the lord is saying that here he says if you live and and i just gave the example if you live 80 years of goodness and then one year of badness at the end of your life what's the lord saying or on the flip side you live 80 years of badness and the last year the of your life year. you realize like i, I want to change and be better mm-hmm. Which one of those people is better off? And and I love this idea then that the Lord says uh, in 17, yet the children of thy people say, the way of the Lord is not equal. But as for them, their way is not equal. Mm-hmm. The Lord just, I love when the Lord just turns and he says, you've missed the point. 
And at some type of this, or some time of this discussion, you've got to bring up the parable of labor. Somebody in your class is going to do it. And the Lord's like, how, how was I not fair with how you? How wasn't I fair? And in 20, yet you shall say the way of the Lord is not equal. O ye house of Israel, I'll judge you, everyone, after his ways. That's why it's fair, and that's why it's equal. The Lord is the judge, the common one, for every single one of those people. And yet what really matters is who you've become, not what... Not this some some just uh, what's President Oaks's quote back in 2000 that the final judgment isn't just no, a right. summation of what you've done but what you've become essentially yes. that it's not a tally mark and sometimes we get caught up in that idea of what do you, how do you get to heaven well end the right way that yep. that's how you get there and I, I love that the Lord is pointing this out these verses then I would just connect back to the Savior what do you learn from Him what do you learn about Him how does He look at me how does He look at sin. And how do I find hope when the Lord says, I am equal because I judge you? Yeah, it reminds me of President Packer's quote. Uh, the man that is a hundred miles from God but facing him is better off than the man who's a mile from God but facing away from him. Yeah. That, 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 that the direction you're these, going matters. Yes. Yep. And, and that's these verses. And, it's, and it, it just reemphasizes, it reinstates the, uh, the point that it's never too late. So, all right, I want to uh, jump back to 24. Okay. Uh, let me turn that on so I can still see it. Um, all right, so this is kind of an interesting, sometimes the Lord asks some of his prophets to do some crazy things. Uh, we're going to see that with uh, Hosea. Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's a part in that where you're kind of like, uh, really? First chapter is <laughs> really that's what, wow. I'm glad I'm not a prophet. Yeah. Um, and this is one of those times. He uh, the Lord tells uh, Ezekiel in verse 16. And this is chapter 24. Son of man, behold, I take away from thee the desire of thine eyes with a stroke. The desire of his eyes is his wife. It's his sweetheart. It's his companion. And the Lord says, I'm gonna. I'm going to take her away, and I don't. I wonder if that word's literal. If it was a stroke that took her, or if, if the Lord just means with a sweep, you know, with a, with a, a, a brush of my hand, or in a moment. And then he says, and this is the part where it's like, wow, how could you ask this of him? He says, yet neither shalt thou mourn nor weep, neither shall thy tears run down. Forbear to cry, make no mourning for the dead. Bind the tire of thine head upon thee, and put thy shoes upon thy feet, and cover not thy lips, and eat not the bread of men. There's this, all of the things that culturally and customarily they would have done to show outwardly their emotions from inside, that they're heartbroken. The Lord says, nope, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. And, and while it doesn't make sense, he then, he then ex he goes on to explain it. Verse 18, Ezekiel tells the people, I spake unto the people in the morning, and at even my wife died. And I did in the morning as I was commanded. I didn't weep. The part that really jumps out to me is verse 24. The Lord speaking to the people through Ezekiel says, Thus Ezekiel is assigned to you. Sorry, thus is unto you, thus Ezekiel, Ezekiel unto you assigned. According to all that he hath done, shall ye do. And when this cometh, ye shall know that I am the Lord. I think if I were teaching this, I think what I would do is get some flashlights and some white walls. And whether you're in a church building or at home, you can find something. And I would just make the shadow puppets. And I'd have a competition. I'd see who could make the best dog or the best rabbit or the best. And then at the end, I'd say, did it really look like a rabbit? 
because it doesn't. I, like, I very rarely do you see the hand puppets that actually that look, fools you, and you're like, that you're was like, a rabbit. Wow. Yeah. Here, here, Fido. Here, Fido. <laughs> that doesn't happen. But it looks enough like we're familiar enough with dogs, or with rabbits, or with horses, or with hippos, or whatever crocodiles, that the the rough outline of it, when we see it, clicks, and we see the connection, even if it's not exact. And the lives of the prophets, as we study the lives of the prophets, when these moments that, that they're referring to, that they're, that they're pointing us to, when those thing ha things happen, we will recognize Christ for who he is because we're familiar with the lives of the prophets that he's called. And, uh, and I, I, would just, I would just have that puppet show and then I would ask why, it didn't really look like a dog, but why did you know? How did you know it was a dog? And, and so if we want to recognize Christ when he comes, what's the best way of doing that? It's get to know the lives of the prophets in the scriptures, in their biographies. Get to know what's happened in their lives. Uh, and as you do that, you'll, you'll be prepared for recognizing Jesus. I love that. I Just on a smaller scale of that, I went back and uh, read, I think it was in 2006 or so, President Nelson's uh, talk in April uh, where he tells the story about being on the airplane. And yes. uh, the uh, husband and wife were next to each other, and the wife was cuddling into the husband and rubbing the back of his head and playing with his hair and stuff, and he was just playing on a game the uh -huh. whole time. And he was like, I wanted to shout at the man, I like, wake up, she loves you, you know? <laughs> um, I, like, read that, and then I put that in the context of his lifeline. His wife had passed away uh, two years or so before that, and he actually got married to Sister Nelson, like, the next week. It was just a matter of days later. And I, so just looking at that story, you're like, you can tell perhaps why he's telling that story and what that meant. And so it, it added and some why more he, to that And why he recognized uh -huh, it. And why he was looking that because yeah. he said, you know, I was on the airplane and I saw this and he's missing his wife and wasn't married. So you could, uh, anyways, it was just kind of a cool moment of you recognize more when you understand them That's better. That's cool. So just a, a thought with that. Love it. Um, one final one or are we done? Okay. Um, Let's do one final one, and All this right. one will actually keep to two two thirty. All right, here it Maybe. is. I'll go. I'll go fast. Maybe we won't. <laughs> in thirty four, um, in verses one through ten, and, and this one you got to be a little uh, tread carefully. Then I guess, but uh, I, you could ask, or you could just say, "You ever felt like you've had a bad leader or a bad teacher?" And uh, I wouldn't ask for names, of course, and I wouldn't ask for maybe even specifics or of examples or something. But there's times that we feel like somebody in our life or in our occupation or sometimes even at church that, that they don't measure up. And the, and the Lord says here in verses 1 through 10, he says, I'll take care of the bad shepherds. The bad shepherds that, I, that were supposed to be taking care of Israel, I'll solve that. Don't worry. And then remember who your real shepherd is. And, and I, that's what I would focus on in this chapter, rather than talking about when are some times you've seen all these bad things happen, but maybe in verses 11 to 16, look at all the times that the Lord says, this is what I will do for you. That that there's there might be times for some people in the church or in the kingdom where they feel like they have a bad bishop or a bad elders quorum president or a bad Relief Society president or something. But who's the real shepherd? Yeah. And, and focus on that. And then you have all these examples of the Lord says, I'll seek out my sheep. I will deliver them. I will bring them. I will put them in their own lands. I will feed them. I will cause them to lie down. Um, I will seek that which is lost. I will bind up that which is broken. I will strengthen. I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will feed them with my judgment. And I love that idea of the Lord is, the Lord is why the church is true. It's the Savior's 
It's not that bishops or bad elders going president or something like that. That's not that's not why I go to church. I go to church for the Savior. And in the moment when you ha- when you feel like you have these bad leaders, it's tough to get past that. But if you can remember, I know why I go to church, and it's because of the Savior. And you look at all of these things that he's done for you, how he delivers you, and, and how he puts you into the right place. That's comforting for me. I, I love to see the Savior here in Ezekiel. So I, I want to end with something in 21, but it feeds off of this because... It, it addresses the, the difference between the ideal and reality, and that those two things don't line up. So in chapter um, 9, the Lord says, hey, go through, a, go through the city and mark everyone's head, and anybody who's mine, anybody who has my mark or has taken my name upon me, or, uh, then, then save them. And, and I think sometimes as, as Latter-day Saints, we take that a little bit, and, and really religion, religious people everywhere, we take that very, very seriously. We expect the Lord to step in and... and protect us or shelter us from any number of things but then 21 is interesting so Ezekiel's given the he shared that vision of the guy with the ink horn and now in 21 it's almost like it's a different message uh, the Lord says to Ezekiel and say to the land of Israel thus saith the Lord behold I am against thee and will draw forth my sword out of his sheath and will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked Seeing then that I will cut off from thee the righteous and the wicked, therefore shall my sword go forth out of its sheath against all flesh from the south to the north, that all flesh may know that I, the Lord, have drawn forth my sword out of its sheath, and it shall not return anymore. I could see, if I was, if I was one of the people listening to Ezekiel, then I, could, I think I could see myself saying, whoa, 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 you said that if I was righteous, these bad things won't happen to me. And I, we see that happen a lot where natural disasters or sickness or you know some of the afflictions of mortality that we kind of anticipate the lord sparing us sparing us from and when he does it we want to stand up and call foul that's when we stand up and say lord you're not being fair and i think similar to to what you just mentioned this idea that sometimes the ideal is all of our leaders should be just like jesus and sometimes we have leaders that just don't lead like we do, and so we have disagreements. And sometimes we have—that's our hang-up, yeah. And sometimes we have bad leaders. Sometimes we have leaders that do things that shouldn't be done. Sometimes we have leaders that struggle keeping the commandments more than any of their followers do. And that's the nature of the, this gap between the ideal and, and reality. And and it's real. And I think it's important that we have these these conversations with, especially with the young adults, and especially with with our young teenagers. And we address the reality. We, th- it's kind of time that we quit pretending the gap isn't there. Yeah. It's so, and in a lot of these chapters too, it's so important to remember the Lord's all about big picture. Yep. And he's all about how you end and which way you're facing. And that that's what really matters. And in these moments, like Ezekiel's preaching to a conquered people, and the Lord's like, I'm not done with you. Yeah. And in the middle, of, and you know, you could consider this your, your midlife or something like that. The Lord's like, that's it. This is just your midlife. Yeah. You've got more coming. Yeah, don't, 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 don't stop too soon. Yep, don't quit. So, hey, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us on another podcast. We tried really hard to do one thing. It started out good, but I think <laughs> we're gonna go back and look at the time. And I, uh, I think it worked good. It was a, it was a good attempt. Pardon the sure. interruption. <laughs> thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for joining us on Take a Second for Come Follow Me, Brother Black and myself want to emphasize that in this episode or any other episode, there's nothing that we've said that is meant to or can in any way be interpreted 
as the official doctrine or policy or practice of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, Brother Black and myself simply represent two guys that enjoy talking about Scripture and and on our own life experiences as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and hope that in sharing some of our thoughts and, and insights but certainly our personal opinions and nothing more that uh, maybe it might open up the scriptures a little bit to you so thanks again for joining us on take a second and we will see you in our next episode <laughs>